the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Whether you're a veteran voice actor, just starting out, or don't even know how to set a level, we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls along your voiceover path to success. The VO Meter is brought to you by Voice Actor Websites, Vocal Booth To Go, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and Sennheiser. Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by source-elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 65 of the VO Meter. Measuring your voice over progress. We've got an amazing guest with us today. Hilary Huber is one of my favorite audiobook narrators, and uh, she's just got such a lovely voice. I really enjoy talking to her during the interview. Hillary is also an audiobook coach. We'll talk to her a little bit about that. But before that, we have our... VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter reference levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with? Hey, it's your show. So, Sean, what's been happening in your VO world since last we talked? Uh, let's see. Well, I don't usually do this, but I got cast for sort of an anime fan dub that I'm happy about. It was a really fun session, too, because apparently one of the other cast members had to bow out of the project, and this was something I auditioned for, like, weeks ago. And then the director reached out to me and was like, hey, there's some, there's a role that's available. Uh, you want to try it? And then so we just scheduled, like, a, a directed session. I tried out a voice, and then it was just silent on the other line, and she's like, yeah. Yeah, you're that character. All right, who else do you want to be? And I was like, this is awesome. And so, and then the same thing happened two more times. I tried another character, another voice, quiet. Yeah, you're them. Who else do you want to be? And then, and then repeat it again. It was pretty awesome. So we've been working on that this week. And then I've had some great, like, uh, aha moments. I've been teaching a lot for GVAA and Rekindle School. And we just wrapped up our VO 101 class for Rekindle. And I like to use that as kind of the intro to narration for educational purposes, like corporate narration, e-learning, stuff like that. And we had such a lively discussion and everyone was like really involved and attentive and like my own passion for it was just really shining through because the way I look at educational narration is the same way I look at education, right? Like you, it's, it's the difference between just being a good teacher and being a great teacher, right? That that investment in who you're trying to teach and letting your own natural enthusiasm carry through. So we joked and we sort of came up with this uh, mantra on the fly, but it's like, don't be a 101 instructor, be a one-on-one -on -one instructor. So put that on your booth or whatever or on a t-shirt so you remember that. Not bad. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Or actually one other thing, this isn't so much VO related, but one of our GVA members got me the most thoughtful Christmas gift this year. It was amazing. She did, uh, she put this framed cross-stitching up of Skeletor, which you, <laughs> you guys know I'm a huge fan of, and it said, everything I do is for the sake of evil. And I, it's just like, <laughs> I had this big old grin on my face. I was like maniacally laughing to myself the moment I saw it. And, and so if you're listening, Jennifer, thank you so much. It was a really, really thoughtful gift. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I made a difference in someone's life. <laughs> An evil difference. An evil one. The best kind. <laughs> so what about you, Paul? What's going on in your VO world? Well, first of all, this is going to be the first episode of the new year, so Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, 
Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, and Happy New Year for 2021. I, for one, am really looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Knock on wood. <laughs> as far as things uh, going on, it's kind of the year-end down downturn for me. Not a bad thing. I'm actually enjoying kind of having some time down. And I, I needed some time to reconfigure some things, which we'll talk about in, in a second. But uh, one cool thing that happened right before the holiday break was me and all three kids signed with a new agency, which is kind of cool. Woo! I had to thank Uncle Roy Yokelson because he put out this referral to people on Facebook that this particular company was looking for submissions. So I sent a submission to MCVO, which is a collaboration of the Laulapides Company and Model Club Inc. of Boston. So it's MCVO, and they're located in Boston, Massachusetts. So a city I'd never had representation in. Pretty excited to see what comes from there. Wonderful. Congratulations to you and the kids. Thank you. Yeah, we already had some some auditions, and uh, yeah, pretty excited about the opportunities up in uh, in Beantown, as they say. <laughs> Very nice. Other than that, I'm working on a couple of author-narrated books for Twin Flame Studios. Actually, working on several of them. I mentioned that in the last episode, and that just continues, so grateful for that. Uh, no other real groundbreaking projects I can think of that I can talk about right now. There might be one in the next episode, but we have to wait and see. We call that a teaser in the biz. <laughs> So yeah, what I really want to talk about involves our questionable gear purchase. And I'll go first because by Jove, I've done it again. Is that the right is that the right phrase? No. By Jove, yes. Dang nabbit. <laughs> Gee, I've done it again. Fat. <laughs> yeah, so um Stefano Booth Bonanza 2.0 is on again. I sold my whisper room. It's now <laughs> co- completely taken apart and in my garage. Interesting thing to note there is that um, I've learned that five years of aging can really damage your body. I moved the entire whisper room into the house myself, I think I mentioned in lots of other episodes, and carried it up the flight of stairs to the second floor. I found I cannot do that anymore. I'm just too old and feeble. So I had to hire a couple of uh, local college kids who were home from break, uh, some neighbors that that I knew had kids, and they came over and helped me. Thank goodness for Daniel and, and, uh, and Ryan. I don't want to mention their last name in case they don't want to be identified. But anyway, mm-hmm. a couple of fine young men from across across the neighborhood came over and helped me carry the, the booth down to the garage. And it was still hard as heck with, with all three of us carrying it. So I'm glad Absolutely. that's done. Absolutely, especially with those like those more traditional ISO booths that are just like six 200-pound panels. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And then I had, a, I had a drywall to it, as you guys have heard on the podcast. So all, all six, those pieces of drywall pound panels. Too. <laughs> yeah. Bad news. But so what I have at the moment and what I'm talking to you from, speaking to you from, is a drum perfect vocal booth four by four model. So drum perfect, as you may know or may not know, but I've actually had a drum perfect product before, so you may have heard me talk about it. They're primarily known for making drum shields or drum isolation isolation shields for bands for a drummer to sit in at live performance venues or a lot of churches use them to isolate the sound from the drummer so the parishioners ears don't bleed when they when they play music but they also make a vocal booth specific version and they have a 4x4 model and a 4x6 model and I have the 4x4 model now I bought this used as well and there's quite a story behind that I was with actually actually without a booth at all for a couple of days because typical Paul fashion I sold the whisper room before I had something else to to have in hand. <laughs> kind of. I had bought and the paid for this The revolving door or studio door strikes I mean, again. <laughs> exactly. The revolving booth door. So I had purchased this, but it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had to find a way to get it here. I had had a shipping company lined up, but then 
I was waiting for some some finances to clear, mostly the, the payment from the Whisper Room, because that's already been paid for, even though it's sitting in my garage, because I guess whoever bought it is having similar issues to me. They're trying to find a way to get the the Whisper Room down to Asheville, North Carolina. I did ask if they would be willing to bring the other one for me from Charlotte, but then it turns out Charlotte and, and Asheville are not that close, and there wasn't really a way for them make, to make that happen. So I hired a shipping company to bring the booth from Charlotte to here, and that came on Wednesday. And I partially set it up, but I found that this sucker is really heavy. I had no idea that they had this level of isolation in their booths. The one I had before that I used to call Franken booth was, was <laughs> basically a drum shield that had the plexiglass front that was basically supposed to be the front of the booth. I had rigged it so I was only using the absorbent wood panels, but even those wood panels were hollow, so they were like felt or carpet-covered hollow hollow panels with wood frames around them. They're basically just meant to absorb the low-frequency sounds of the of the bass drums and the, 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 the kick drum and maybe the tom. And that wasn't like a truly sealed booth, right? They were all kind of just line, or leaning up against each other? Right, they all leaned against each other. So this sucker is, every panel is solid wood all the way through, or it might be MDF actually, medium density fiberboard, but it's really thick. It's at least two inches thick. So it was just as heavy as, as the Whisper Room, or so I thought. So I had I had my family, like basically all of us, carrying trying to move it in, except for the nine year old. He was just kind of just kind of um, watching. But my wife and my two kids, or one's a teenager, one's almost a teenager, all trying to lug this thing from the garage into the basement because the whole reason for this move was to get myself out of the second floor where everybody is now congregating during during COVID with homeschooling and my wife working from home, down to the basement where it's much quieter overall. So we took the booth from the garage where the shipping company had dropped it off into the basement, and again, it was so freaking hard. So I was so sore for days afterwards. But I just actually got off the phone with the company before we started recording to find out if I were to move this back upstairs at any point, if that would be possible. And it turns out this, this drum perfect booth is 750 pounds, so... I would not be moving that anywhere upstairs because that was my main worry with adding anything to the whisper room is that it was too heavy as it was for my house that was built in the 70s, 1970s. It was already 600, 650 pounds for the whisper room. I didn't want to add anything more to it. So here I am in the basement in this new booth, and uh, I do still hear some background noise. You might hear some footsteps during the podcast, maybe the heater in the background. So I'm trying to do some things to maybe shore it up a bit, maybe add some mass-loaded vinyl. I might think about adding some drywall or some some plywood to it because it's not a perfect situation right now and kind you and I have talked privately about what I might be able to do but right now it's going to have to do, it's going to have to be good enough and we'll see in a couple of weeks if I change my mind again and have another booth bonanza where I start shifting things my wife's convinced that'll happen me too <laughs> <laughs> And I was about to say, you usually don't get this squirrely and cabin fevery until the summertime when all the booths go on sale. Well, that's the thing. There was a, there was a lot on sale right at the end of, uh, of the year. I guess people are trying to get money for the holidays or something, So, including me. I was selling one, and there was a lot of other ones for sale, too. And there's even one that you might see on the Facebook groups. Actually, I think we talked about it. There's a, a gentleman selling a studio bricks in, I think it's actually in North Carolina again. Um, for some reason, every booth in North Carolina is for sale. So there's um, there's a studio bricks for sale, but it has no door. So that's a bit of an issue because the door is a big part of the studio bricks soundproofing. But that did tempt me for sure. But basically, that's that's the end of my question about gear purchases, which as if as if it wasn't enough. Oh, quality over quantity this time. <laughs> I also found out my mic's bad in process. Oh no, which one? So right now I'm using the MKH four fifteen, 
I found out there's some there's some sort of electrical hum in the Rode Procaster, which I use mostly for audiobooks. I was kind of hoping to replace that because I wanted something that sounded a little more robust now that I'm in the basement and don't have to worry about some of that low-frequency rumble I was using the dynamic for. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. But yeah, I plugged in the mic, and there was this really noticeable hum. At first, I thought it was a ground loop. I started turning off lights and swapping mic cables. I found out it was only in the Rode mic. This, the mic I'm on now is fine, and a couple other mics I have also sound fine. So I think the mic went bad in transport just from upstairs. But Sorry, yeah, it's muted. Well, see how um, things yeah. go. <laughs> Man, that stinks. But I mean, as I'll talk about in a second, it's like whenever you make changes, minor or major, you really have to assess the entire chain because it might kind of poke or it might reveal chinks in the overall armor, if you will. Yeah, it could have been just one minor one minor change in the circuitry in, in the house between here and the upstairs that made that sucker hum, but it's basically unusable in the current location. But like I said, I'm not that worried about it. I have plenty of other mics, and Lord knows I don't mind buying more. I was about to more. say, you have no shortage of substitutes. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice thing to test. So, word of the wise, have it backup, or three, or, or two. I was able to test and, and immediately isolate the mic as the problem because I had so many others to choose from the test. That's a great point, because recently I've been seeing a lot of like posts on stuff where it's like, oh no, my only mic or my only interface has gone out. What am I going to do? I was like, first off, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? ABCs of studio always back up consistently. So talking about that, it's funny because it's like do as I say, not as I did. But last time I talked about how, like Paul, I pretty much had a complete studio overhaul. I got two HDMI monitors, one for in the booth, one for at my desk. Um, I got, I replaced my my 2015 MacBook Pro with the new M1 Mac Mini, and I fell in love with that. So. I could no longer stand my loud old MacBook Pro anymore, or slow loud MacBook Pro anymore, so I replaced it with a MacBook Air, which should get here in two weeks. And some people were like, oh my God, he's a madman, what are you doing? And I'm just like, (laughs) I wanna emphasize that this was a two-year obsessive research upgrade process, right? I have been looking at models since the 2018 line of MacBooks and stuff like that as potential upgrades. And I always felt like I was making a compromise. Like it was either too large and too heavy for the power or um, like, I just couldn't, like I said, I always felt like I was compromising somewhere. And having never had a desktop, my own desktop computer or like a, a quiet one, That was, it's just amazing. It's so hard to go back to that, that jet engine fan. And like I said, for my use case, my primary programs that I use, Twisted Wave, Isotope, and the fact that my interfaces are all USB class compliant, like the mixer face and the SBO Creon and the Audient ID4, I was in an okay place to make the switch, right? So I want to caution people who are really excited about this stuff and want to use me as justification for their own purchases, which I'm usually okay with, is to just make sure that this is something that's not going to upset your workflow. It didn't for me. There were things that I did have to adjust to, like I had to get a newer version of Microsoft Office, and I'm no longer able to use my Adobe CS6 Creative Suite, which was like the last way you could get a standalone license for Adobe, but I just didn't use it nearly as often as, as my other DAWs. So for me, that was a minor sacrifice for a huge upgrade in performance. And that's what I want to talk about also is that I realized after the upgrades that my tools were literally holding back my output. So 
it made complete sense to actually upgrade the tools to be able to do more work. So for me, it was a prime time to upgrade. And if you're in a similar situation, it might be time for you as well. But like we talked about with the importance of backups, don't necessarily throw out your old machine until you're sure that the new setup isn't going to have any un, like, uh, unpredicted problems that you didn't expect. So that's, that's my tangent. I just wanted to temper my previous enthusiasm and just be like, hey, guys, it's not all sun and rainbows. You have to be, there's a lot of preparation and research and stuff involved. But if you do that, you know what they say, buy right, buy once, buy wrong, buy twice, and all that. So anyways, tangent over. <laughs> well, that wraps up our lengthy re-emergence of questionable gear purchases. We'll get to our interview with Hillary in just a moment, right after a word from our sponsors. Walgreens, because it's flu season, and you live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people. We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything. The stars take it to the red carpet. We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris. Rated M for Mature. Claire Redfield. And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat? And prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany. This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, Jay Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information. How many times has this happened to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on. Not unlike this one. And this guy starts talking. Not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking. Not unlike myself. And you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister, well, missy, you just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist. Because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. Because you like to have fun. Hi, everybody. Our guest today has recorded over 500 audiobooks spanning many genres. She's a multiple audio award finalist, including Best Female Narrator, Multiple Earphone Award winner, Voice Arts Award winner, and one of Audiophile Magazine's Best Voices. Hilary Huber has a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and is a voracious reader and listener. Raised in conservative Connecticut and hippie Hawaii, she has a unique perspective, or so she says. She splits her time between Santa Monica, California and New York. Most of that time is in a 4x4 padded room. I mean, a uh, booth. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands and voices together in welcoming Hilary Huber. Woo! <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, Hilary. Hi. Hi, how are you? First of I'm all. great, you guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. We're, we're hanging Our in pleasure. there like we all are, are trying to do, right? Yeah. So, Sean just gave that eloquent background, and there's some tidbits in there, but I'm curious how exactly you got your start in the entertainment industry. I've acted my whole life. 
only because I enjoy it. I never had any sort of intention of being an actor, but I loved theater. And so I, I took theater all through school and did summer stock and just loved it. But then when it came time to, to have a career, that didn't really occur to me. I bounced around doing a bunch of stuff that is not terribly relevant. But my husband uh, was in advertising, and so I was around ad people all the time who would say, wow, you've got this voice for radio. You should do voiceovers. And so I did. I started, uh, we'd moved out to California from New York, and I, um, I started doing commercial voiceovers. It, it was a rocky start at the beginning, but I finally, I, I got a foothold when the time was right. And I had a really great thriving voiceover career commercially, some animation promos, stuff like that. But after about 10 years in that, it was fun. It was great. I love the people. I love the job. But it was it wasn't feeding my soul in any way. It just is how many slurpy commercials can you do? It's, <laughs> you know, feeling I wasn't feeling like I was leaving anything beautiful on the earth. And I, I needed to scratch something a little deeper and a little more creative. I'm a maker. I like to make things. I like to leave something behind. So it's really two-pronged. Uh, there was that desire to do something that felt more fulfilling. But also, I knew that I wouldn't stay relevant forever in the world of commercials. There's a demographic. Anybody who knows anything about advertising knows the demographic, 25 to 40 or something. And, and even though I sounded older than the demographic when I was 18, I just knew there was going to come a time when I wouldn't get the copy that the younger that the younger women were getting. And I saw these, I would see these older women come into my agency. We used to go in every day to audition. And I'd see them walk in and they had this just look of abject fear and panic on their faces because their careers were evaporating. Even though it's only voice, there's still ageism. And and I and I, I would look at them and say, my God, I never want to wear that face. That terrifies me. I've got to think of a pivot. And so audiobooks was my pivot for both those reasons. I felt like it would accomplish both of those fears, if you would. Interesting. long-winded. No, that's fantastic. You actually segued into our next question as well. So you started pursuing audiobooks full-time. Uh, what was that transition like, and do you regret any of it? Oh, God. First of all, no, I don't regret any of it. And um, it, there was a real transitional period. You know, this was 15 years ago or so, and there was no ACX. There was nothing like that. So I went after publishers and um, directly and producers, really. And I kept it completely separate from my my commercial agents. I didn't want them to know anything about it because I didn't want them to think that I was like being it was competing for their time and I, it was really stupid looking back on it but they th they they still to this day are like oh audiobooks we can't <laughs> be bothered with that so I, I kept it very private and very separate and and i recorded at home from the get-go from the beginning so i my time was still always my own so i could always run off and do commercials so for the first five or seven years i still had a very active commercial career and then audiobooks started taking over, taking over, taking over. It really became almost 100%. I still do some commercial work for the last seven or eight years. So it was a bit of a transition. And no, well, okay, I, I regret the money <laughs> <laughs> I could make in an hour what I make in a week. So I do regret that. But 
as far as everything else is concerned, creatively, passionately. I mean, I'm a reader. I, I don't regret. I don't regret anything like that. Any of that. No, I'm, I love it. I still wouldn't mind booking a couple jobs a week just to. <laughs> I'm trying. Just saying, casters, if you're listening. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying. I'm still trying. But, yeah. Well, speaking of that, you mentioned in your bio you actually do work on both coasts in California and New York. Is that something you're still doing now? And is it is it anything different about the two markets and how you pursue work? That's a good question. So I've always spent a couple months, the summer months, in New York, uh, in Long Island, um, not in the city. But in Long Island, just because that's I grew up doing that and and I like it. Um, And I would go into the city to work when I booked jobs. And I liked that, too, because I I had a studio set up out in Long Island for a little while at a friend's recording space. And I found that I was constantly negotiating with myself. Well, if I go in and record a couple hours, then I get to go to the beach (laughs) and you have to go back in. You have to record a couple hours, but then you get to go have a cocktail. But then, you know, and I'm a crappy boss and I'm a crappy employee. I give myself breaks and I take them all the time. And so it was like there was work constantly hanging over my head. So I kind of liked it that I could go into the city, work for three days, four days, go out at night, see people who I didn't see very often. And that was great. Uh, But then this hit. So then COVID hits in March and I'm looking at going back there because my mom needs help. She's there. My stepdad needs help. And I really wanted to go to give them a break. And I just wanted to go because I like it. So I, I had to I had to get a new booth. I got a new booth. I got a studio bricks and set it up there. So Ooh. I stayed for five months this year and worked full time. Uh, and it was fabulous. And now that I've done it, I've, I'm really committed to it. I'm I'm happy because I've wanted to be more bi-coastal, so now I'll be able to. When things open up again, I'll still try and get back into the city to work as much as I can. I like that interaction a lot. I love being in a studio. I love a director. I love an engineer. I love being around people. Um, so I will try and get that rolling again, but I always will have this booth now, so that's terrific. So that's part A. Part B, how do I approach work differently it's pretty much the same. I, you know, before, I mean, especially now that I have my own booth, prior to that, before I'd, a couple months before I'd go, I'd start hitting up all the uh, producers and publishers I knew in New York and, you know, saying, yoo here I come. I'm available to come, you know, work if anybody needs anything. But now I can, you know, I'd have to put others on hold, like Tantor, who, you know, really only was doing home recording. You know, they'd be like, okay, bye. You let us know when you're back and you're dead to us right now. So, yeah. So kind of pivoting topics a little bit. I actually first heard of you through your collaboration with friend of the podcast and mentor to many talent, Pat Fraley on Accent on Dialects. How did you come to be so proficient with accents? And what was it like working with Pat on that? We worked together on a lot of things. We had the same agent a bajillion years ago. And um, that's how we met. And I started sort of co-teaching weekends with him and then with Scott Brick as well. And then he had me contribute to a bunch of of CDs that that he has, his instructional CDs, like you mentioned, like the accent one. How did I become proficient at accents? I'm a mimicker. I think there's a real, I'm not a musician. I wish I was. I really wish I was. But I think I have a musical ear and I'm just an aper and a mimicker. So I listen a lot and I'm constantly 
especially now, I hear an accent and I, 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 I speak in it in my head um, and try and mimic it, I guess. I've, you know, do, do any of you guys do this? Like, if you're, you're, you're at a dinner or something with somebody who has an accent, I'll start talking like that person. Oh, yeah. Then you're, oh, yeah. All right? the time. <laughs> right, all the time. And then you're like, I'm not making fun of you, I swear. Just... I, was an Eng- I was actually an English teacher in Japan, and I worked with a lot of teachers from Australia and New Zealand and the UK, and I couldn't help it, but they just hated it. <laughs> it's just like, right? I was like, I'm an actor, guys. Let me do my thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just trying to learn from you. I do it with my, um, my brother-in-law who's from Boston. Every time we get together, I, we usually spend the week together at the beach over the summer, and every time that happens, I end up talking with a Boston accent for that entire week, and it drives him crazy, too. <laughs> oh, you do? That's a good one to have. Can do me, Give me a little Boston. Can you do a little? Oh, I can't do, do it unless I hear it, and I haven't heard it in a little I know, while. I know. It's you just so got to watch that Smart Pack commercial. That Smart Pack, yeah. Boston, yeah. <laughs> you got to get in your head. Um, that's really funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think accents are a blast. Am I that facile at them? No. Some are better than others. I've got my black holes. Looking at you, Australia. <laughs> suck at that. New Zealand, South Africa. It's a tough one but to I'm do. Trying. So you mentioned your, well, we mentioned your unique perspective from growing up and working in different states with very different cultures. Can you tell us about how it was growing up in, in various different environments? And do you think that helped your perspective as an actor? You know, I do, which is, it's every now and then I look at that on my bio. I'm like, what does that mean? She has a very unique perspective. And here's what it means to me. Connecticut, Westport, Connecticut, and and Long Island are two very kind of, for lack of a better word, waspy, snotty environments. And and Hawaii, on the north shore of Hawaii, in Haleiwa, I grew, I was with surfers all the time, and we didn't wear shoes for three months uh, at a spell. And so I feel like I was in each of those worlds, but I wasn't of either one of those worlds. I wasn't, didn't have both my feet firmly in either one. I had one foot in each one. And I think it, what that did as an actor is it gave me sort of an observational approach to life. I, I had to learn how to fit in quickly, you know, when I was moved around and, Kind of like an, I mean, I, I hate to compare it to an army brat, but, you know, those are people who have to learn how to adapt. And I had to learn how to be in two different environments and feel like I was part of them and accepted. And so I don't know if this is true or not, but it sort of makes me feel like I've learned to be an adapter and which makes me feel like I've learned to be an actor. I mean, I wasn't taking on a persona, but I was in a way you know, how to fit into this prep school where I went one minute and then the next week how to hang out with a bunch of surfer dudes on the beach. I always felt a little bit like an outsider and then a little bit like an insider. So just sort of lost in space. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it kind of just reminds me of my own childhood. It's crazy. (laughs) Why? Did you move around a lot? Yeah, military family. We spent like oh, there you go. A, yeah, good half of my life in uh, in Japan, and actually, my girlfriend lived in Hawaii for the first two years of our relationship. So I would actually travel there a couple times a year. And you're right; it's completely different culture. Yeah, it's I don't know. I think it's uh, I think it's great to get taken out of your comfort zone, and have to adapt. Um, 
And it's something that for, I mean, like, say, comparing like America to Europe or places where multiple countries are nearby, we just don't get that opportunity to explore different cultures and different perspectives. No, we really, I mean, I guess if you think about the United States, the South is, you know, pretty different from Portland, Oregon, but uh, yeah, not like in Europe or I don't know. I know, state lines aren't quite the same as going across country, you know? <laughs> no, they're really not. <laughs> Although it depends which state you're crossing exactly. into. <laughs> <clears throat> not bringing politics to your podcast. So as you talked about before when we were talking about um, your work with Pat on Accent on Dialects and with Scott Brick, you've proven to be a great resource for aspiring narrators in your own right. So you did mention that you do do formal coaching, but... What inspired you to become a mentor for the next generation of talent? You know, one of the things I love the most about this community is how generous everyone is uh, with their time, with their knowledge, with their resources. Uh, I've never I've never been around a community, certainly not in the acting world. I used to think that commercial voiceover actors were pretty chill with each other. I, I mean, I always joke about going to... Uh, when you, I'd go to a casting in a casting house where there are multiple jobs being cast, most of them on camera, and I, I could walk in and I knew immediately where the voiceover job was because everybody there was like laughing and slapping each other on the back and <laughs> everybody at the on-camera were like, meow, meow, back off, bitch. <laughs> um, and so voiceover was great, but audiobooks is greater. And I was... Helped a lot in the beginning of my career, and I feel that I owe it to the community, to those who are coming up after me, to help them too. And I like to call myself a bit of a reluctant coach. I don't advertise. It's not on my website. And I don't know where the reluctance comes from. But when I'm in it and I'm doing it, I love it. I love to see somebody recognize a change to recognize a trick or a skill that they can then implement to, you know, bring their stories to life. So that's that's really meaningful for me to to just sort of see those rewards given to those people who work hard. And I have a couple students who hire me now, and that's amazing. And just seeing students out there really being successful is an incredibly gratifying thing. So I, I love that. And I, I'm in my coursework, my main thrust is to teach my students how to be their own evaluator. Because let's face it, not many people get the benefit of a director or even an engineer to help them out. It's the sound of one hand clapping when you're in that booth all by yourself. And it's great to have a teacher direct you so that they get the read they want out of you. But I think it's more valuable to have a teacher teach you how to direct yourself. So that's kind of what I aim for when I'm coaching. And I've seen you in action at one of Johnny's workshops, and we all appreciated your feedback. It was it was great to see you work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I it's funny. I, I, I'm always, that reluctant coaching thing is always just sort of, somewhere hanging around me. And I'm, every time I say it, I'm like, why are you saying that? You shouldn't <laughs> say that. But it's uh, it's just 
Well, I don't know. I think there's some stigma to it, you know, like the idea of those who can't do teach or in the fact that there are so many predatory coaches out there these days. It's actually like, I mean, you're a rare find. Like we want more people with integrity like you. Oh, so, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned the, the secret about you don't want to tell too many people that you get hired by your students because that, that is something that is a benefit, I think. I've actually hired one of my former coaches, too, on two books. So it does come yeah, back full circle. That's great. I love that. I'm looking at you, Amy Rubinate. <laughs> it's awesome. So you mentioned the, the beautiful Studio Brooks booth you recently got. What's the rest of your setup like? And do you do most of your work in the home studio? Or obviously during the pandemic, things have changed, but in normal times do you do most of your work at home or do you do it in studios for audiobooks um i probably do most of it in my own studio but boy i sure wish i didn't have to (laughs) i love i love going to another studio i love it i love the benefit of a director of another person there Um, i feel like it really ups my performance a lot but by the same token i love being on my own time frame, my own schedule. So uh, that's an incredible benefit of the job that we have. I love that, but I can't wait till doors are open again and I can go up to Random House and hang out in the lunchroom with our brethren. Mm-hmm. I love. I'm curious about one thing with the studio break specifically. Did you do any extra tuning? Because it sounds fantastic and I know it can't be bare as it comes from the factory because it just doesn't sound that way. So what did you do to tune it? Okay, well, I'm not in a studio bricks right now oh, because uh-oh. I'm in California. Mm-hmm. So maybe so that's the reason. Here I'm in. Uh, here I'm in an actually a Scott Peterson booth. I Ooh. had a Whisper Room originally, and that moved around with me to a couple different places. And now, I think I mentioned I'm a crappy boss and a crappy employee, always giving myself breaks. I had to move my booth out of my house because you know the laundry might need to be switched or maybe the mail came i was always doing something else so i I go to an office um i have an office space where my booth is and this uh the whisper room wasn't quite quiet enough so i got um a scott peterson booth built here and it's padded to high heaven i'm sitting in it right now but my studio bricks in new york i just built it and popped up the foam and it's awesome they actually sound almost exact I bring the same equipment back and forth, but they, mm-hmm. they sound almost almost exact. I had my engineer listen, and he's like, they're indistinguishable. So that's that's a bonus. That's great. That's awesome. What the studio bricks one is book? really pretty. Oh, nice. <laughs> what equipment do you use? Okay, I have a Lawton tube microphone, and I love this story. I did a... Um, like three years ago, I did a complete rehaul of all my equipment, and I went to Vintage King, uh, which is a, a audio. Oh, store we're familiar with it. Yeah. yeah, you guys know it. <laughs> and I went into that mic room that they have, and I tested out like twelve different mics, and I totally ran the gamut. I think the cheapest was a Audio Technica, you know, up to the Neumanns and um, the Sens, and um, and I posted the blind. Uh, I put, I posted them all on Facebook, um, blind, mm-hmm. and said go. And the feed, I, 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 I don't know. I wish I could find the feed. It was so much fun. Uh, the chiming in of, oh my God, I'm sure that number number eight's the uh, number eight's the Neumann. No, it's not. Listen to her on number six. That's the scent. No, I like her on it. Back and forth and back and forth. It was so great. And I said, I'm picking the one you guys. I'm buying the one you guys pick. 
and I won't name him because if I name him, he'll commit Harry Carey for sure. <laughs> One of our colleagues was certain that the Audio Technica, that you know, two hundred dollar AT whatever, was um, was the Neumann, and he was going to go to his deathbed swearing it. <laughs> oh, and no. he was so pissed. He's like, no, I can't trust my ears. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> this is the one that everybody chose. It's this Lawton 320. It was totally mid-level. I was ready. I was going to drop the dough on the big one, but you know, I, maybe because I, I don't know why. I just didn't. They liked me more on this. It's a Lawton 320. I don't even know. I don't even know. It's But I have to plug it in. It's got it's a tube, a tube mic, right? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. It has to warm up. Currently yeah. on Sweetwater for four seventy nine. <laughs> oh well, there you go. So that's that's what I have. I have that, and I have a um, Apollo Duo and uh, Pro Tools. That's what I got. That's it. I I am I am not an engineer. Mm-hmm. So don't ask me any trick questions about that. I have to put a helmet on every time I open up Pro Tools. It terrifies <laughs> me. I know exactly what I need to know. Don't show me your way of consolidating. I have my way. And if I get an error message, I panic and I immediately <laughs> send it to Jorge. I'm like, oh, man. I'm definitely uh, pay for the expert help category of <laughs> home studio engineers. But yeah. um, that is awesome. But, I mean, you got pro-level equipment, and I'm always happy to hear of people who don't go for the popular choices, who, who get something a little bit more customized and don't and aren't afraid to get something that's less well-known or le- more affordable than some of the industry standards. Right? I got I got a couple pair of shoes out of this, the money I saved on, on that money. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Priorities, guys. Yes. You got to wear cute shoes in the booth. So you've always been kind of like this very forward-thinking participant in the audiobook industry, working out of a home studio for the majority of your career. What do you think is the future of the audiobook industry itself? Boy, um... <laughs> I don't know is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it feels like such a loaded question right now with what's going on in this world. Are we going to transition to mostly home recording? I hope not. I know Random House will have us back. Is it becoming more and more accessible to other people? Um, yes. I've watched over the course of my voiceover career, I... I I watched celebrities first come after television commercials, voiceover, and animation, and then radio commercials, um, you know, things that they wouldn't deign to do. And, and then with the advent of home recording, everybody around the country could do voiceovers all of a sudden. And you didn't have to be in New York or L.A. or Chicago, which you certainly did when I first started. And now I'm watching it again in audiobooks, you know, more and more celebrities are deigning to do audiobooks, although I don't think that they'll, it'll be as prevalent a takeover as it was with commercials because, let's face it, it takes up a lot of time. But I, I do see it has become more and more accessible to people who were not trained actors. Um, will that continue to proliferate? I don't know. And I'm I'm probably sounding a little protective right now of our career because, you know, you don't want to see your lunch get eaten. But by the same time, I, I appreciate the opportunity that people have to do this career. And there are a lot of books out there and there's a lot of work for all of us. I don't know. I go back and forth, like wanting to protect protect my fort 
and then wanting to open the door and let others in. I don't know if that speaks to the future of audiobooks. I, I think it's going to continue to grow. It's the fastest growing sector in the entertainment industry. Um, I don't see why that won't continue. I think I think they'll continue to grow, and I think that there will continue to be opportunity. Well, along those um, lines, Hillary, uh, what do you, what advice do you think is prudent to give to aspiring actors and narrators in the current pandemic and then beyond? Keep learning, keep training. Every coach that you engage with, every workshop you attend, you're going to get something out of. I really enjoy the different perspectives. I don't attend any workshop as a as a coach and walk away without learning something. It's interesting, Paul, that you said act narrators and actors, because I would like those to be the same thing. I think you have to be an actor to be a narrator. You have to have some kind of acting training in order to really understand this kind of performance. So I would encourage anybody who wants to grow their career to take the acting aspect of it seriously and take some classes, take uh, even improv classes um, to just learn as much as you can. Open your open your mind to other people's opinions and other people's methods and other people's tips. And just like Pro Tools, there are 10 ways to do each function. So you find the ones that work best for you. And ditto with with coaching and narration. You're going to hear a lot of different opinions about how things should be done. So you amalgamate, you, you sort of cherry pick what works for you. Excellent advice. Well, Hillary, it has been such a pleasure getting to talk to you. As I've said, I've been familiar with your work for a very long time, and it was just great to talk to you. Well, it's great to talk to you guys. It's uh, uh, Thank you very much for having me. I love audiobooks. I love to talk about audiobooks. I love to engage with other people and hear about what they're doing. And um, like I said, this is the best community of people. And I know right now we we all really miss each other. People are struggling. And anything we can do to engage and bring each other together like this podcast, I'm really grateful for. It's a wonderful thing you guys are doing, and it strengthens our community. We're stronger together, and uh, so thank you for that. Thank you. She gets us, Paul. She gets us. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hillary, before we let you go... We can all be together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me neither. Before we let you go, how can people get a hold of you if they want to hire you or hear your work? Hills at HillaryHuber.com. H-I-L-L-A-R-Y, H-U-B-E-R, hills at hillaryhuber.com. Simple enough. Yep. Well, thanks again for being here on the VO Meter, and look forward to getting together in person sometime soon. Paul and Sean, thank you so much. I cannot wait. Hey, Sean, what's a vocal booth? Uh, it's an acoustically treated space to record voiceover, sing, or practice music. Okay, so then what's a vocal booth to go? An acoustically treated space to eat a cheeseburger and fries? No, of course not. Vocal booth to go's patented acoustic blankets, noise mitigation products, and portable booths are an effective alternative to expensive soundproofing. They're often used by vocal and voiceover professionals, engineers, and studios as an affordable soundproofing and absorption solution. Oh, I have it now. Actually, I've always had it. I've used Vocal Booth to Go's products for years, and I can't recommend them enough. Vocal Booth to Go. We make your environment quieter for less. 
As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. Wow. Thank you so much, Hillary. As I mentioned in the, the interview, I had actually been familiar with her work for a very long time because of her collaborations with Pat Fraley for um, accents on dialects and projects like that. So it was amazing to be able to talk with her one-on-one -on -one for that. And just that voice. <laughs> yeah, she, she does have a great narration voice. And I've seen her in person do coaching. And I'd love to some, sometime work with her one-on-one -on -one because I think she's, uh, she's great at that as well. So thanks to Hillary for being on the show. Well, that wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Coming up, we have an interview with the founders of Storylight, the podcast, as well as Byron Wagner, who's a narrator for them and just came off a live performance and is going to be doing another one. So look forward to hearing from them. Absolutely. It was a great interview, and we can't wait to share it with you guys. But that's it for now. Happy New Year, and we hope to see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VO Meter. 